This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. It is Fun Friday. Happy New Year. My name is Jeff Sandu and over the last decade, the world of technology has increasingly come to resemble a battlefield with the once golden children of Silicon Valley apparently skirmishing and battling foes on multiple fronts. The heroes are now cast as villains in the looming data wars, which means today is ripe for Matt Armitage to rip off the rise of Skywalker. Hey Matt, this is a good start to the new decade with you stealing notes from the Star Wars franchise. Hey Jeff, uh, Happy New Year to, new to year. everyone. Um, yeah, well over the Christmas holiday, you know, I was reading loads and loads of articles about runaway technology mm. and how it's become this kind of threat to our democracy and to our, our freedom. And we've kind of seen this transformation of uh, Silicon Valley. They've gone from being these kind of liberators to these kind of democratic demagogues who are controlling everything we do. Um, and, you know, we see that governments are also kind of losing control of the, the ability to rein the technology in. Uh, people are getting very, very worried about, um, you know, what they see as being rampant surveillance capitalism. So yeah. this idea that we're all being watched and that the data points are being turned into uh, money and profits. So there was so much doom and gloom over the Christmas period, sort of reading the, the kind of tech page. No, they're all topics that you've spoken uh, before at length on this show. No, that's true. I mean, I'm not knocking the actual <laughs> truth in any of the the pieces uh, or the importance of understanding what's actually in them. You know, it is important to to understand this kind of dark side of technology and the potential of where we might be headed. Mm. Is that where the Star Wars analogy comes in? Well, kind of, and also because <laughs> it's a, a nice way to ease us into uh, 2020. Mm. You know, uh, if you think of uh, digital technology in the early noughties as being, you know, the, the first rush after the, the empire fell, uh, technology re represented kind of people power uh, in enabled people to bypass traditional uh, news information. We were suddenly able to post our own information, information about us, our lives, our opinions on mm. things. We saw the rise of citizen journalism. Uh, we saw the blossoming of uh, freedom and independence movements around the world, you know, again, based around these technology platforms. And people were suddenly able to bypass very tightly controlled state information networks. And they could actually create their own information sharing networks that ran parallel to those. So at an individual level, uh, we kind of celebrated this democratization of data, uh, this idea that people would be maybe less isolated because, you know, whatever fringe interests you had online, there were going to be other people who yeah. shared your interests. And we also saw it sort of coming into the government sphere as well. So governments and city councils, they committed to these kind of open governance platforms and they started sharing all kinds of data. Uh, but what we didn't kind of foresee was mm. that this first flush of freedom <laughs> would turn into something that was a bit like, you know, Star Wars, the, the First Order. How do you think it happened? 
Well, you know, we we do do a lot of these things <laughs> to ourselves. You know, we've spoken at length about how our freemium models uh, have contributed to this system. You know, it was an active or sometimes even a passive choice that many of us made uh, that was directly to make our digital and online experience cheaper so that we could get services for nothing. Um, but the other point is that I think a lot of these things happen by degree. Mm. Uh, you know, Google going from not being evil to bidding on U.S. <laughs> government defense contracts. These things are things that happen gradually. Uh, and, you know, it's also that change in interpretation. I mean, we've seen the word privacy have numerous meanings depending on how it's used, and freedom does as well. Mm -hmm. Freedom seems to have gone now to mean that it's the freedom of companies to do as they choose rather than the freedom of their consumers. All right, so that's where we are with Supreme Leader Snoke or the resurgent Emperor Palpatine? Well, apologies to listeners who aren't <laughs> Star Wars fans or, or foreigners. You know, one of the, the positive aspects of all those negative technology articles is the fact that we have started to realise what's happening around us. You know, I've been banging on about unsustainable freemium models for years and years. So have a lot of other people. Um, talking about how we're willingly giving up our privacy. Mm. Uh, and apart from a very few people, <laughs> the majority of, uh, of people that we kind of spoke to, they thought we were scaremongering. But now you see people are scared. They're very tired and they're mistrustful of a lot of technology. It's the tech backlash. Well, yeah, uh, going back to the Star Wars analogies, you know, this is the scene towards the end of uh, Rise of Skywalker where... Uh, the spoiler Rebel alert, no need? No, you don't need a spoiler <laughs> alert. If you haven't watched it already, you're not going to watch it. You're okay, obviously right, not right. interested. Okay, yeah. um, so a call goes out to the uh, from the Rebel Alliance to the rest of the universe <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, the ship's sort of appear um so i can't remember if it was in the force awakens or last jedi but you know the rebels put out a call for assistance in that movie and yeah, nobody actually nobody came, came. Yeah. so um i think that's where we are now um sounding the alarms <laughs> that one last time and people are finally answering the call where does that leave us well that's a really good question you know it's the problem with any kind of backlash um people tend to go fundamentalist but they can go off in really weird directions. Mm. Uh, so all tech can suddenly become no technology. And as we've seen from the measles epidemics this <laughs> year, turning your back on science and going back into that, you know, Middle Ages hole can have really deadly and devastating consequences. Isn't that more scaremongering, the idea that we turn our back on the digital era and embrace the past? Well, it's really kind of unlikely, but it's not actually unprecedented. You know, this is an often quoted example example, um, a lot of citizens in the Roman Empire mm. enjoyed clean drinking water and sewage systems. But after the Roman Empire fell, uh, most of Europe's citizens lost access to that clean drinking water for mm. over a thousand years. I mean, they didn't get it again until the kind of late 19th and early 20th centuries. So look where we are now. We have all of this technology, yet my wife contracted typhoid in the middle mm. of last year. Mm. So it does seem that we're only an epidemic or two coupled with maybe a couple of uh, natural disasters away from that kind of societal collapse. But only if we turn our backs on science and medicine. 
Well, yeah, but that mistrust is already there. So conspiracy theories uh, that vaccinations for kids are unsafe have mm -hmm. already gone mainstream. They share screen time with genuine science in the name of balanced reporting. Uh, the same with climate change denialism. So even while Australia burns and the world fields an ever-increasing number of extreme weather events, mm. we still support these conspiracies because doubt isn't choosy. You know, when you start to place some fa uh, facts under threat, you essentially threaten all facts. You know, if you believe that vaccines cause harm and that the research findings supporting those vaccines uh, or rather supporting your version of the truth about those vaccines are being suppressed by, say, unscrupulous governments, or you believe, as happened in some countries, that UN vaccination programs were part of a scheme to sterilize and mm. eradicate those people. You know, it's only a short jump to believing that all science-based medicine is fake, that ultrasounds are really irradiating you and sterilizing you, that MRIs are influencing your brainwaves and controlling your thoughts, and that fluoride in the water supply makes you more susceptible to mind control. But there are plenty of documented examples of, for example, pharmaceutical companies marketing drugs that turned out to be dangerous. Well, yeah, and that's a huge part of the problem because it's the erosion of trust in the people who control or wield that technology. Uh, it's like that gradual erosion of trust in companies like Google. And I don't know, maybe it has something to do with scale. You know, it's easy for a small company to care about its users, but a big company will probably care more for itself and about maintaining its position. Uh, it's great to disrupt, but a nightmare to be disrupted. So the people who do the disruption, once they become the winners, they start to build their own castle walls. Hmm. But we shouldn't start to conflate this behavior with the technology itself. So going back to that idea that technology is neutral. Well, of course, we know that technology <laughs> isn't neutral. You know, technology uh, is often a driver for change. So it can't be neutral. Uh, it shapes its environment. It influences all the things around it. You know, when you introduce a new technology, things are never quite the same again, even mm. if it is just the stupid smart soft shaker. <laughs> um, but we shouldn't confuse the technology with the people who control it. And that's really what I want to have a look at after the break, you know, how do we change that balance? Have a look at how we can change things for the better. So if the last decade was about us losing control of technology and information that we thought was going to empower us, uh, us and improve our lives, you know, how do we turn the next decade into the roaring 20s, a decade where we assert our ownership and actual control over these advances? All right. After the break, starting 2020, right, according to MS. BFM 89.9 Best for money BFM 89.9 Welcome back to MSP. My name is Jeff Sandu, together with Culture Pops Matt Armitage. Now, before the break, we were talking about people's growing unease with uh, technology, or more specifically, the companies controlling it. So, Matt, if we want change, what's the first thing we should do? Learn to code. Um, simple. <laughs> um, no, I mean, if if uh, you're like me, mm. you're too old or too lazy. Uh, I'm possibly one or both of those <laughs> things. Um, at least make sure your kids know how to code. 
code. Is there much point? I thought you argued that AI will do most of the coding within a few years. Well, that's that's very true. It's not so that you can put it to that much practical use. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in the first two decades of uh, this millennium or century or whatever you want to call it, um, I think part of what we've seen happening with this disconnect with technology is down to a lack of understanding. Uh, learning to code is pretty much... You know, it, it allows you to learn how the machines work and think. It gives you an understanding of how information moves, and it also helps you to understand why it moves that way. So it gives you that bigger picture of what data is and how it can be used and uh, utilized. So it allows you to make informed cho uh, choices. Uh, you come from this position of knowledge rather than what we tend to do now, which is blindly just tick and accept uh, the, the, the EULA, the end user license agreement on any service <laughs> that, we, uh, that we subscribe to. Is there any area that tech knowledge won't be a requisite? No, because in a sense, you know, every company now is a technology company. Um, BFM is mm. a technology company. How many products don't require some level of tech? Uh, we're putting sensors and chips in everything. Uh, increasingly, our service industries are technology-based as well. Um, we're using uh, outsourced automation services, cloud services, um, artificial intelligence, and these aren't just the big budget uh, homes of, uh, you know, multinational corporations. Mm. Increasingly, they're finding their way into what we term to be the average, in inverted commas, SME. Mm. But that's only going to increase, especially uh, when we look at mobile applications and the way that 5G is going to, to roll out. And it's even part of the, the gig economy mm. as well. You know, we are all tech workers now. Where do you think the pushback should start? Well, I think it's got to start in multiple places. Um, you know, we're already starting to see it happen in uh, governments and legislation, which we'll get to later. Uh, one obvious place is the building block of internet freedom, which mm. is known as uh, Section 230 in the United States, uh, which states no provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. So that paragraph, the 26 words as it's known, is what allowed the internet to flourish in mm. the 1990s. It meant that ISPs were not directly liable for the content that was posted on them. And it became this great guiding provision for the early development of the internet as we know it today. And you think it's outdated? Well, free speech on the internet is critical, but the wording of that paragraph mm. is very vague. And one of the consequences is that it's enabled sites to moderate the content that they feel like moderating. Now, some of that they do for moral reasons, some of it for ethical reasons, some of it uh, because it keeps their customers, mm. their users actually glued to the screens. But often it's for commercial reasons. Um, you know, when you have a, a, a major social media company announcing that it won't remove demonstrable falsehoods by politicians, that's a worrying position to, to be in. Uh, and you see people putting aside truth and fact in favor of conspiracies and lies. And for a lot of people, there's no way to distinguish between these two. So I think it is time to revisit those provisions because the technology moves so fast. So we have to have the rules governing it, uh, adapting as well and going under periodic review just to keep pace. Mm. And you think we need more transparency? 
Yeah, because we're about to go into this age of artificial intelligence that we simply won't be able to understand, mm. that we won't understand why it makes its decisions. So now is the time to fight back against the algorithms before they move out of our grasp forever. Because all of this customization of content is great, but the endless customization just creates a feedback mm. loop. Um, I mean, I went to my YouTube today and, and I just have uh, police reality shows on it now because that was what I was watching over the Christmas period. Um, you know, we don't see the same information of each other. So every new piece of information reinforces what mm. we think we know, which to me is that Australian cop shows are the centre <laughs> of the universe. Um, so it just hardens our positions. Which is why you think it's okay to marry robots. That actually has more to do with certain deficiencies in the way my brain processes emotion. Mm. Um, and I do understand I'm an outlier there. Uh, but one thing I picked up on is uh, from one of the more positive articles of the Christmas period, an article we're actually going to talk a bit more about mm. in Geeks after the break. It was a piece by uh, Douglas Rushkoff in The Guardian. Um, and it echoes some of what we say on the show, uh, especially about the importance of history, not just ancient history, but recent history. So... You know, we have a lot of trouble sifting through information in real time and establishing facts. And that's something we can use technology for. Yeah, because we can use technology to mine that information for, for truth. So uh, technologies like blockchain uh, that we usually talk about more in a fintech scenario could establish lines of information and truth. But more importantly, they identify where that flow of information diverges from the truth. The democracy of truth? Uh, yes, the democratization of truth and information. Mm. Um, you know, that was the model we were sold of the internet in the early millennium. Um, but the companies grew too fast. They became too big. They became the gatekeepers and the curators rather than just tools of access. And now their algorithms have the power to influence and potentially even determine what we believe to be true. So decentralized advances like blockchain and hopefully micropayment mm. systems to independent content makers like podcasters could help to turn that around. And lawmakers? Well, the EU instituted its GDPR, General Data Protection Rules, a couple of years ago, um, and countries worldwide are now you know, starting to understand this technology company overreach. Uh, Google buying Fitbit and bringing yet another huge data source into its ecosystem raised a lot of eyebrows for, for people. Uh, Facebook trying to become not just a payment, uh, payment gateway or a retailer, but an actual currency in the form of Libra. Um, that's had pretty disastrous consequences so far. Uh, the threat of government intervention and control has seemed to scare off a lot of uh, Facebook's institutional partners in that particular project. Mm, but are we seeing actual legislation? Well, we're seeing it more at the state level in the, the US. Uh, one report I read suggested, I think, 150 separate pieces of state mm. legislation last year to regulate different areas of technology and the technology companies. California is leading the way. Uh, in many ways, uh, it could be uh, a test uh, a test territory for how protections for gig workers mm. and data privacy could be enacted and rolled out on a, a larger scale. So California passed the Consumer Privacy Act in 2018. That comes into force in January. One of its key provisions is that consumers have the right to know and obtain a copy of the data that companies hold on them and that those companies are not allowed to discriminate against them or change the way they 
treated as a result of requesting that information. Could it have a wider impact? Well, of course, that's one of the, the interesting things about the web. Um, it's that global aspect, the lack of borders. So um, regulation tends to shift uh, towards the most stringent actor as long as that actor has power, mm. which is why many sites in Asia comply with the EU's GDPR standards. So if more US states pick up similar controls, we could see these rules become the default global standard. You mentioned protection for gig workers. Yeah, I mean, less certain that these will become a global standard because labor and employment law are, you know, they're tricky and they're mm. highly localized. Um, there are new gig economy regulations coming in in California. Uh, proposition, I think, AB5, again, that should be uh, coming to force sometime in January 2020, mm. uh, which will give many gig workers the same uh, kind of rights as full-time employees. They get paid sick leave, mm. caps on hours, paid leave, termination uh, protections, etc. But companies like Uber, as well as some freelancer organization, are fighting back against the proposition as it's currently worded. Mm. But despite that, we are definitely seeing more employee activism, uh, especially over the last two to three years. We've seen strikes at big technology companies. We've seen strikes by gig workers. And we've seen a lot of attempts to unionize in technology companies. Mm. Are we still too relaxed? I think we are. Um, anyone who still thinks that uh, there's no risk to their, their mm. phone being tracked should read uh, 12 million phones, one data set, zero privacy uh, on the New York Times, which came out uh, last month, uh, December. It shows how much data can be gleaned about a person just from location tracking on a smartphone. Mm. But one of the big changes of tech and automation is that there are now many fewer blue-collar workers in developed nations. White-collar workers are effectively the new blue-collar workers. And as has been shown with Google and Amazon workers, mm. technology workers are becoming more activists. Mm. We talk about business as though as it's a singular entity. Is there a place for non-Silicon Valley businesses in regaining control of tech? I think so. You know, we forget that there are huge amounts of money outside of these Silicon Valley technology industries, the so-called traditional industries, mm. and their power and wealth is also at risk. You know, Amazon is a threat in retail, medicine, health, insurance, credit, finance, perhaps even education. Google is moving into property development and infrastructure. And all those companies uh, uh, are pulling apart the traditional income base of the big, powerful media industries as well. Uh, so in the same way that politicians on both the left and the right uh, oppose the power of companies like Facebook, Google and Twitter for their perceived biases against their particular brand mm. of politics, so there are plenty of cash-rich industries with expert lobbying operations who don't buy into the vision of the future of people like Jeff Bezos and Mark Zuckerberg. So empowering us may not be their primary goal, but in terms of being, you know, a common enemy or bringing that common enemy to heel, we may end up being unintended benefactors. Have these uh, tech companies become too big to fail? In a sense, um, they may have become too big to govern. Certainly, a lot of them are too rich to fine. You can <laughs> throw any amount of fines at them and they just absorb it. But they're not yet so intertwined into the global mm. economy like the banks that their failure is a threat to that global economy. But, you know, it is that word yet. Um, if Facebook or Instagram disappeared today... 
we'd jump onto another social media mm. platform. Advertising money would flow to whatever other places we visit online instead. You know, there are alternatives for all these companies. So they could fail and the internet would just keep on trucking. What about uh, the bright spots? Well, we're going to look at the predictions, not just for 2020, but the the whole of the new decade uh, next week. So we'll get to Mm. the bright spots next (laughs) week. Um, You know, there's so much on the horizon. We've got the extension of CRISPR, Mm. um, gene and biotechnology. We've got this unfolding food revolution. Yes, I'm going to come back to my (laughs) man-made meat. Um, We've got the untapped potential of the blockchain. And as I said, you know, this growing sense of awareness uh, amongst uh, users of technology as well. there's a youth demographic uh, explosion as well, which could blow away the uh, kind of older generations like myself. <laughs> Hurrah! Um, so, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic, I think, about the the coming decade. You know, the Skywalkers are rising and I can feel their force. Shamelessly stealing Star Wars notes for the first episode of the new decade. Uh, we'll be right back with Geek Squawks after this, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.